Welcome to episode 31 of the Woke Antidote. Coming to you guys a little two weeks after we last recorded. And TB, we've both been busy. We've had work. We've had life. But I am pumped to be back in the recording studio tonight. Oh, definitely. It feels so great to be back, SB. Uh, The last two weeks have just been absolutely insane. Uh, Like you said, between our personal lives and work. Um, it, we just haven't had a break, but uh, finally we we we're, we're back at it. And boy, do we have so much content to get through? Um, you know, we there's a lot that we have cooked up for you, and so much so that we can't possibly cover this all in one episode. So, uh, what we decided to do is uh, have two episodes already cooked up for this week, um, and we're gonna have a theme around each of the episodes. So. Uh, for tonight, we're really going to be spending a lot of time talking about kind of the the mainstream woke politicians like AOC uh, and kind of just how they are the embodiment of the 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 woke liberal social class and, you know, the, that woke liberal mentality that we talk so much about. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time dedicated to that in this episode. And then the next episode, we'll be talking a lot about just all the gaslighting and just the, you know, the redefining of, of basic words and concepts that is very reminiscent of an Orwellian 1984 type of a, of a concept. So uh, a lot of what we're going to cover is going to be touching on those themes. But for tonight, I mean, SB, AOC, she gives us so much content to, to you know, just, you know, thought fodder for us to go through. She really just like the view. She is the gift that keeps on giving. But before we dive in, uh, I do want to give a special shout out to, uh, I guess you would you could call him a, a new super fan. But uh, for those who are any uh, baseball connoisseurs uh, like you are, SB, uh, we just uh, we, we crossed paths with a, uh, a member of the 1986 World Series Mets, uh, Lenny Dykstra, who uh, you know, we we saw that he was tweeting about, uh, you know, some anti LeBron things, which we which we hold near and dear to our hearts. So SB being the social media was that he is decided to, you know, share our recent LeBron James uh, episode that we published. And sure enough, uh, Lenny started engaging with us. He, he loved the episode, shared it with his uh, his fan base. Uh, and, you know, that episode quickly became our number one episode uh, by far and you know even though we didn't record for two weeks since that was last released that episode just continued to snowball and get more views and you know we are just completely humbled and just amazed right now so uh, big thanks to to Lenny for all the support Uh, we hope you are you know you continue to listen we would love to have you on the show anytime uh, you know, you are a New York legend. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm a Yankees fan, but hey, anytime you beat the the, the Red Sox is good with me. Uh, oh. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say, SB? Wow, that um, that that hurts a little bit. Although I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't alive or following the uh, the game during '86, but certainly he he's a baseball legend. He's a New York legend, and. Yeah, look, he he had some issues with like woke James, as we have uh, nicknamed him, and it turns out a lot of other people did too. So I'm hopeful that the people that he shared the show with, I'm hopeful a lot of them are listening right now. 
And then speaking of Lay Woke, I did want to say one thing briefly on that before we pop into AOC for tonight. So one thing that hit the tape uh, right after we recorded about LeBron, we didn't mention this in the pod, he is a part owner of Fenway Sports Group. So this is the ownership group that owns the Red Sox. Now, if you want to use NBA par- parlance, um, they're the governors of the Red Sox. But no, they're the owners. And this was brought up by Lou Merloni, who's a, who's a Boston sports legend. He was an okay player, but he was a utility player for the Red Sox, but he was a local guy. He does radio radio for them now. And I just thought it was such a great point because if LeBron truly feels that the city of Boston is incredibly racist, like he implied, he should go and divest that stake immediately. Why is he profiting off all these racists? So I think this is simply an example of LeBron. He is he's speaking before he thinks. And, you know, he he hates the term that Laura Ingram, I think, was the one who said it, shut up and dribble. But this is a situation where LeBron's business dealings say one thing and this off the cuff remark that was inconsistent with what he said previously was another thing. So, yeah, I wanted to bring that to the listeners because that was just an incredible um, thing that was pointed out by Marloni. But, yeah, TB, we'll, we'll end it there. We'll start with AOC. I know you're coming in hot on this, so why don't you lead us off here and and give us your AOC take? Yeah, so in, in you know in a short moment, SBM and I are really going to provide our analysis and rationale for why we dedicate so much time to speaking about people like AOC, because that's a, that's a common criticism that you hear on social media and from the left and the mainstream media is that the right is obsessed with these politicians that, uh, you know, specifically AOC that, you know, we just can't stop talking about her for no reason. And there, there actually is, you know, a a very good reason why she's someone that we detest so much and and spend a lot of time critiquing. Uh, But before we, we jump into that, let's set the stage with some more stories to kind of, really set the context about, you know, like who AOC is. Let's get in the mind of, of AOC. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, AOC, she participated in a march, protest, whatever you want to call it, uh, outside of the Supreme Court, uh, protesting the recent overturning of Roe, uh, Roe v. Wade. And a, a very viral video clip uh, went around where, it depicted AOC being uh, arrested outside of uh, outside of the Supreme Court, and uh, you see uh, in this video she's being walked out by an officer, uh, as well as another woman who I, I guess was protesting with her. So she has her her hands behind her back, and she's walking with a defiant smile on her face. So you're like, okay, the the, the immediate the shock factor is, oh, AOC got arrested, okay. But then as she's walking away, she raises her unhandcuffed hand. And just to be clear, neither of her hands were handcuffed. There was no handcuff at all. But she raised her fist in the in the air, which then completely ruined the illusion that she was trying to portray that she was actually being arrested by a police officer. So this was just, you know, this was just classic AOC. 
Uh, this was no different. You know, this type of performance was no different than the performative display that she went viral for. I, I would say this is probably when AOC really hit the mainstream, when that was that famous picture of her crying in old, all white, where she was supposedly on the Mexican border and she was crying about all like the kids in the cages that the evil Trump regime was, was, was putting in there. Meanwhile, in reality, she was actually at an, in an empty parking lot. Uh, so no one around there, uh, not near kids in cages. And she was just, you know, you know, of course she was wearing all white and she just so happened to be caught in such a candid moment crying in an empty parking lot. Uh, you know, and also, you know, this this is reminiscent as well of her saying that at the you know the January 6th riot, she constantly went on and on about how she feared for her life, that she believed she was going to get killed. Meanwhile, she was not even in the building at all. She was in a totally different building separate from the Capitol, far removed from what was going on there. And is she is she just, you know, again, she she's all about the performance. So in addition to just kind of how performative and fake AOC is, she's also just, she's not a genuine politician. She doesn't really care about the people that she serves. So uh, just for some context, she represents a, a district in New York City. And what, what recently came out, she kind of had a war of words with a, a fellow uh, New York Democrat politician, Jessica Ramos, where uh, Ramos accused AOC of just not being present in her district. And Ramos would know this because she actually shares an office in the same building as AOC in New York City. And she and Ramos said that AOC is very rarely ever in that office. She's nowhere to be seen. So AOC, she doesn't represent her district in New York. She represents her Instagram fans. She's known as like the Instagram politician. She's constantly live streaming, talking about how for her, you know, she's so stressed out. So she's going to treat herself to a spa day. Like she does that, that type of, of stuff. So, you know, she really, she really is, you know, just kind of just this very fake phony politician that I think regardless of what your politics are, I think anyone would be just you know, really disgusted and just turned off by, by someone so fake and performative like that. Uh, so to kind of, you know, you know, pile on here with some more AOC anecdotes and stories, she, uh, you know, just the other week, she was on a TV show uh, where she was sitting down with a group of transgender strippers. Um, this is not me coming up with that term. That's their self-described as that. That's their, their way of making money. That's the profession. And she called them patriots. And, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, again, showing that there was a tweet that I saw, I believe uh, it was either Matt Whitlock or Matt Walsh. Uh, I forget which one it was, but the, the, the tweet about it was just saying that that type of language, and, you know, that, that, that statement is just indicative that, you know, AOC is part of a of a of a mindset and a you know a political ideology that shows that the country is kind of living in two separate realities. One where you know we you know, we're completely at at odds with one another. You know, calling transgender strippers patriots. You know, that's 
that's just a ridiculous statement. You know, when I, when I think of a patriot, I think of, you know, the people who founded this country and rebelled against an authoritarian, you know, you know empire that was trying to, to tax their people without representation, were trying to control the way what, what religion they, they practice, you know, the way that they, they lived their lives and they, they, they wanted to rebel against that. I think of that as a patriot. I think of a patriot, someone like uh, Martin Luther King, who, you know, wanted to stand up for racial equality, calling a, a stripper a patriot. That, that, that is just so out of touch with reality. So it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I, I just I just I just really just, just you know, I, I just can't stand her. She just she is just everything that's wrong with politics today. And it's just, you know, it's just an absolute just lunacy what she does, the things that she says. It's just the ramblings and the, you know, it just it comes from a place of a person who's just not very bright. And for whatever reason, people just on the left, they just can't quite understand that. So, you know, I could talk about AOC all day, but, uh, you know, SB, what are your thoughts on on, that? uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Uh, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts here. Yeah, ap- apparently what went by Sandy Cortez back in the day. So I do have to say that AOC uh, has a good ring to it. So that was at least smart on her part to uh, to have that change. But yeah, I've got thoughts. I mean, I thought you laid it out really well. You know, one of my major thoughts: what has she actually done? Because she comes in here so hot. And she's got all this political power. I mean, she's got tens of millions of followers. Everything she says is broadcasted by all the major news networks, whether it is the favorable ones or whether it's going to be Fox News covering it from the alternative perspective. Whatever she says, whatever she tweets, it's front page headlines. And I I don't even know what she's fighting for beyond some ridiculous climate change policies where does she even differ from the Biden administration on policies? You know, is she extremely progressive and pushing Biden to the left? Well, what bills is she actually writing and sponsoring? I just I, I feel like she is much more interested in being that celebrity politician and that in that woke politician making headlines than actually getting things done. And it reminds me because one of the first interviews that she had, I think after she got elected, I believe someone was asking her about uh, how she would solve or actually how we should solve. That's not even what they asked. It was a very basic question about the Middle East conflict. And she just sounded like she had zero knowledge of it. It was one of those. It was a college professor called on her in class on her opinion on this conflict and she hadn't done the assigned reading that the that last night for homework and so she had nothing to go on so that was what she was bringing to the table in that interview and i think she's pretty much continued that during all her years that she's been in power and so so she's getting nothing done and then the second part is that whenever she does say anything if she gets even lately criticized oh it's sexist it's racist it's you like me if you're criticizing me. It's like she's she thinks that she's getting bullied by the the I don't know the elementary school boys that like her. She's back into that stage, which is totally ridiculous. We know that's not true. You know, I watch Tucker. I see what he says. He does critique things that she specifically is advocating for. So 
that is just a a ridiculous way to go through life. But again, um, like you said, it's it's emblematic of the woke millennials is that they believe that they are totally in the right. And anyone that has a different view than them must, by definition, be sexist and racist or otherwise they'd have the same view as the woke progressive liberal. So I, I find that, you know, very offensive because TB, me, me and you are not uh, liking her and, and trying to get with her, which which you would think we were based on what we say about her. And maybe she'll listen to the pod. Although AOC, if you are listening, feel free to respond and tweet this out to your many followers because we could use the view count. Um, <laughs> and then finally, you know, it's 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 all show and it's getting nothing done. And I think this is also em- emblematic of the whole – we have this great contrast where AOC is memed the other day. And she's memed with Alex Stein, you know, a provocateur, conservative personality who films her and is, is getting excited about the big juicy booty. All right? So this is – everyone's heard about the big juicy booty. And yeah, probably not ideal to say that, but – you know, it, he wasn't breaking the law. He was filming it. He was joking. And she did seem to make it a bigger deal than it probably would have been because she actually repeated that big juicy booty. And she she made it into into a kind of national news story, which, you know, hey, it increased her following, probably got her more followers. So maybe that was by design. But it it really seemed that people viewed that memeable moment to they thought that was worse than another new york politician but this time a conservative republican lee zeldin literally being attacked by a knife at a campaign event so we have this bizarre situation where and this is kind of what the left always does it's words are violence in the case of the aoc situation but yet violence in the case of the knife is actually just protest words. And we can't have this because the, if we continue thinking this way, we're not going to get anything done. We're never going to come to an agreement. And we can't we, – it's just we really can't be living in the same country as people who think you're the devil for disagreeing with you. So you put it all together and you have this perfect representation of what is wrong – with, I would say, not only politicians on the left, it's kind of what's wrong with us millennials and, and Gen Z. And I hate, you know, like millennials, TB and I are both millennials. We get a lot of shit, and I think we, we do get a lot of shit unfairly, in my opinion. But there are also some criticisms that do make sense. And some of it that does make sense is just kind of the, the general apathy and the general this desire to kind of exist and to get the likes rather than actually getting stuff done. And eventually if we have this millennial population get to be politicians, that personality trait is probably going to show itself in politicians. And it really has with AOC. It's not really that great. So either we need to get better millennial politicians or maybe the millennial generation of politicians is just going to be in a bad situation. We have to wait for the next one. But yeah, no, I, I thought you covered it well. But I mean, I could I, like you, I could talk about this all night, too, but I won't. Um, or I guess maybe we will. It depends on how long this episode <laughs> goes. We're trying not to. 
But yeah, yeah. no, th- th- those are my initial thoughts on the matter here. Yeah, no, but perfectly said, SB. And like, I, I think that that brings us to what, like, to our greater point. Like, why do we care so much about AOC? Why, you know, why do we spend so much time talking about her and, and, and politicians like her, like Ilhan Omar and the like? Um, so here are like kind of like the key points that that really stand out to me when I really think about what bothers me the most about the AOCs of the world and, and how, you know, and, and, and the, the, the you know, politicians like them. So, you know, SB, I think you, you nailed it perfectly. AOC is the perfect embodiment of the average woke millennial Gen Z, you know, woke liberal today. Uh, so the first point is, and, and you touched on this before, SB, everyone who disagrees with me is the devil. It's a very childlike way to view the world. It's a very childlike way to have a discourse with someone. You know, back in the day, like, the, you, you know, used to have, like, people would debate in a, in a, in a physical public square, and they would you know, debate on, on virtues and merits and philosophies and they would challenge one another. And, you know, there'd be times when, you know, one might not be deemed uh, the winner. You know, you might not be able to convince your, your opponent to, to join your side or that they're wrong, but there was a fleshing out of ideas in a concrete way where there was a mutual respect that was ascertained where people could say, okay, you may not have convinced me, but, I understand your logic that forms the basis of your argument. And I think that, that too, like even if someone is misguided or they have an opinion you, you disagree with, if someone can actually apply rationale and, and logic behind their argument, uh, it, it, it shows confidence. It shows a confidence in their opinion that they have so much faith in it that they, they can, you know, be able to articulate that in a way that they truly believe it, even if they are challenged. You know, they, if someone criticizes them or challenges their opinion, that's fine because they're, they're very firm in their convictions. However, when you have this, you know, resorting to, to name calling and demonizing that we see far too often from people like AOC and kind of like the woke uh, liberal to me, that shows that there isn't confidence in their convictions, that they can only win the argument by calling someone the very worst names that they could they could think of. So they would call you a racist. They call you a homophobe. They call you a transphobe. They call you a xenophobe. Like they, they call you all the worst words you could you know, to be to be something to be these words that they say that you are this the lowest form of humanity you are the scum of the earth if, if that's true that you are so they weaponize that language that's the only way that they can win rather than you know trying to have a conversation a discourse about the merits of the economy about um you know just uh, you know the merits of education and you know or you know philosophies around military action they just automatically jump to that conclusion so to me shows that their their convictions and, and stances on very shaky ground uh, secondly, you know, they, 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 there's no kind of following this. There's no desire to work across the aisle because they are demonizing you. They have no appetite to work with you. It's got to be their way or no way. And that's kind of like the epitome of the woke 
ideology that there is no compromise. There is no middle ground. They believe that they are the moral authority and that everyone else who disagrees with them is wrong. And by, di- and by disagreeing with them, going back to the first point, you are the devil. You are horrible. So that is, those two points is, stand out to me right away. Third, and kind of piggybacking off of that, is that the reason why they jump to all these conclusions and the name-calling and, and the childlike behavior is because their entire belief system and the way that they, they think and talk it's a hundred percent based on emotion rather than reason and logic that they, they are speaking purely from an emotional perspective and not a logical one. And there are times when emotion is absolutely necessary. For example, when they are, there are mass shootings in the country, uh, you know, things like that. Absolutely. Emotion should be involved. You know, you wouldn't be a human if you didn't have emotion, but when everything is a hundred percent based in emotion, it's very hard to find commonality. It's very hard to have a conversation with someone who's reacting emotionally versus reacting with, with logic and reason, which kind of like brings me to, to my, to my final point. And this is why I think a woke ideology is so damaging and just so wrong for the country. And thus why politicians like AOC who kind of embody just wokeism to, to, the nth degree, why, why they're so damaging for the country is because ultimately they're grifters. They, they don't really care about the things that they claim that they do. Uh, they don't, uh, they're not genuine in their, in what they're saying. Ultimately at the end of the day, they're all about themselves. They're all about their own self promotion and their clout. So when, when we talked about the stories about, AOC pretending to be handcuffed about AOC staging a photo shoot in an empty parking lot, pretending that she was on the border looking at kids in cages, like those types of displays. It's all, it's all an act. It's not genuine. It's not real. She just wants the fame. She, she thrives off of that. And that, that is exactly the, the type of, you know, it's the embodiment of like just the, your, your classic woke person that, you know, like think I talked about this on the last episode, think about the people, you know, that maybe you went to high school with or work with that they're constantly posting on Instagram. You know, they're, they're, you know, posting about all these social movements. They're posting about how upset they are about, uh, you know, a, a law that was passed or uh, they, you know, they, they, they hop on the trendy social movement and they want the digital likes, you know, that's, that's slacktivism. They, they post that and they think that they're doing their part. They look like a good person. People give them the hearts and likes and they feel good about themselves, but they don't, they're not really genuine that if they really cared, they would have do that. They would do that quietly in their personal time and not feel like the need to show off and tell everyone that they're doing it. They would just do it privately. So, that so those those key points that that is the exact everything that AOC does she is just the exact embodiment of everything that's wrong with this woke ideology and why SBNI it, it, why it upsets us so much and we spend so much time breaking this down because it's it, it really it comes from a bad place it's 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 a very selfish motivation 
very rarely is it a, a genuine and good natured motivation. So we just need to call it like it is because people like AOC are unfortunately making decisions in our country and kind of our, our future leaders. So the sooner that people snuff this out and call them out on their bullshit, the better we can just stop with this charade and just get back to reality. Yeah, could not agree more. And let's get specific here because one of AOC's, if not her biggest issue that she talks about, it's climate change. So a couple years ago, January 2019, that's when she went out with that really aggressive statement saying the world's going to end in 12 years, which obviously is is not going to happen. Um, Al Gore and other other people have predicted that uh, years back, and that, of course, didn't happen. And I think in our pa- – TV, I think our parents' generation, actually, they were more worried about a new ice age coming. So this whole climate shenanigan, um, you know, we can, we can debate whether the climate's actually changing, but – is the world ending in 10 years because of what humans are doing? No, it's not. So that was her big thing. I think with that statement as well, she said, and like, this is the war. This is our World War II. So, okay, so we have that context for AOC, right? And let's even go deeper. Then we get even more intense statements. A couple months later, she goes, can we actually have children? So this is, I mean, I, I, I can't, it's just, I'm speechless to how bonkers that statement is, because if you're saying that the world is going to end, you're, ba- you're, you're kind of saying that, yeah, that's bad for everybody. We wouldn't be able to live anymore. But then by saying that you can't have children, you're, per- you're, you're choosing the elimination of the human race by that choice. We don't have to do it. So it, yeah, it just logically doesn't make sense. It's it's an emotional-based plea for people to actually take climate change into serious consideration. And really, they don't, because if we fast-forward to 2022 for a second, there was a recent poll out there that said 1% of voters think climate change is the most important story. So it's obviously not. I mean, people are more worried about, do I have enough money to, to feed my family because there's 20% food inflation my gas is up double, my stock portfolios are down 25%, and I was just fired. So like that's that's where people are more worried about that. They're not worried about getting a Tesla and you know all that jazz. But leaving that aside, AOC, so that's the context, that she's very intense about climate change. But she's not doing her part because AOC is a very big fan of riding in gas-guzzling SUVs. So she has, and this is kind of kind of to your point later. She's probably not in New York City that much, but her campaign. This is a New York Post story from 2019 that her campaign has re- had relied heavily on Ubers and Lyfts, even though she had a subway stop 138 feet from her Elmhurst campaign office, and the Queens headquarters was a one minute walk to the seven train. Yet she spent $30,000 on Ubers and Lyfts, 1,049 transactions, and 505 Ubers alone. And this was only in the first two years of her being in her position. So total hypocrisy, total bullshit. It's, it's much worse than we were joking on a recent pod about Mayor Pete. Um, he was 
he was filmed biking. Then he would put the bike into an SUV and then go to work. So, like, all these people, it's a total sham. They don't believe in it. Barack Obama buys a house on Martha's Vineyard um, right by the ocean. Actually, not only that, Barack Obama buys a house in Hawaii right with the, with the beach. And so he's got two – Barack Obama's got two houses that are going to be destroyed by climate change and the seas – the ocean's rising if it actually happens. And, you know, of course he doesn't think it's going to happen. Otherwise he wouldn't do that. So just, just total ridiculousness. But yet to, to your point, and I think it's really important, it's actually very destructive because, you know, in one sense we can laugh and joke about, you know, you know, Barack doing that, you know, we, he's a scoundrel or whatever, but the, there's a very serious issues with people thinking that um, we are on the wrong side here. And, you know, we've on the pod, we've discussed stories like hiking is now white supremacist pastime. If, if you go camping, you're a racist. Um, and you can laugh at that. But, you know, I'm on the Bill Simmons subreddit. I like talking about it on the show. And I came across a post the other week. Legit post. It's still up there. Is it OK to wish death on people like Tucker Carlson or Clay Travis? So this is a Bill Simmons subreddit. I want to give the listeners some context here. So the person that posted this said, I think it's fine to be honest. Um, reading some of the comments, one person goes, yes, there are two people who purposely spread misinformation, which causes harm in order to get money and popularity. Um, someone else goes, yeah, they wish death on hundreds of thousands daily. We've got another one saying, yep, no harm in it. And then somebody else finishing up says, yeah, they're responsible for so much death and misery. So you're morally in the clear. So to your point before, TB, how are we supposed to coexist with these people that they believe someone with a different perspective than them is literally wishing for hundreds of thousands of deaths daily? Now, I'm not even sure how they could have gotten that from Clay Travis because Clay is a 1990s Democrat. He worked for Bill Clinton. I could understand some of the Tucker stuff because the media gaslights really hard about what Tucker actually talks about. It's pretty clear that the like 99% of people that actually criticize Tucker have never watched one second of his actual show. Maybe they've seen a clip that is taken wildly out of context meant to say something. But these are the types of people, yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to do living in the same countries as these people and not understanding this. So I, re I really don't know what to do. It's really bad. And it's just, it's it's not... Um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's getting to a point where it's not safe and we're already seeing that stuff in, in the city, like the cities aren't safe, but politicians being targeted, Supreme court justices, you know, outside their house, all this stuff. It's, it's getting to a point where it's really not safe for you to have a different point of view than someone. If you're in the wrong situation or wrong location or wrong woke utopia you know talking about this stuff in san fran or seattle you probably couldn't so it's very disconcerting you know i i you know i wish we could have a little bit more positive things to say on it or or that i could but i just can't tb because it's 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 really bad out there and i i just don't see this getting better anytime soon yeah i i don't at all like to to make this point as clear as possible like i i'm really glad you brought up the example about um you know kavanaugh being you know he, he was almost assassinated or at the you know someone 
was plotting to do so. That story has been swept under the rug. You don't hear about that in the media, but SB, can you just imagine for a second if this was a MAGA Trump supporter supporter who was arrested carrying guns and ropes and, and, this, and the like outside of Justice Sotomayor's home trying to assassinate her um, or, or Kagan's home, it would be all over the news that you know, Trump incited or, you know, the Republican Party or the conservative ideology, they motivated and supported this person killing a, a liberal politician or a liberal you know, leader. So it's it, it, this this example just kind of it, it really highlights the double standard that we, we live in. And to your point, SB, it, it's getting to a point where it's very hard to reconcile this this double standard and, and this gap in, in, in logic here. Like it's getting to a point where it, it's very hard to think that there's a way that people can we can peacefully coexist with people who truly just like they want in, the, in this example you saw on Reddit. They want people who are conservative to die, you know, or, or even if, even if that person might have been extreme. But let's say just the the classic woke person these days or hell these sadly these days even just your standard liberal they wish they wish the worst on you they want you to lose your jobs they want you to be a social pariah like there's never been once where i wished a a democrat died like recently joe biden has had gotten covid twice despite being shot up with a hundred you know uh, vaccine shots by at this point um you know, I have never wished for him to die from COVID. You know, I, I, he's the president of the United States. If he were to die, that would be such an awful moment for the country. It's never good when a president dies. Um, but I remember when Trump got COVID, there was tweets about all over the place about people wishing him to die. And I, you know, I, don't, I can't remember the top of my head who exactly said this, but I do remember pretty prominent Democrat politicians uh it might have been Rashida Tlaib, actually, now that I think about it, like wishing that Trump died from COVID, like like really happy that he had COVID and wishing him not to heal from it. So like it's a very like just evil and disgusting way to think about it. Like they let their politics just consume them so much that they get blinded by hate. They get blinded by that difference in opinion that it allows them to dehumanize someone who disagrees with them to a point that they, they wish them ill and that, that, that's very disgusting but uh anyways you know sp i think you you absolutely you know you, you captured that well um so we'll, we'll put we'll put a we'll put a bow on that but it's you know again just uh, for parting words on this subject you know this is exactly why we spend so much time covering these politicians because this is this is the mindset this is the ideology that it breeds and it's not good. I'm not saying that the right doesn't have their own problems that they need to be aware of and, and, and root out. Absolutely. But we're, we're, we're focused on this right now and it's not good and it needs to be stopped. But anyways, moving, moving on to, you know, something a little bit more cheerful that can kind of that we, we often like putting into our episodes to offer some levity. We're going to go back to our our trusted, tried and true woke in the wild. So SB, um, 
I, I'll pass this off to you because you're actually the one who, who found it. But um, where are all the, the female superhero window washers, SB? Where are they? Yeah, this was this is a fun uh, time out here with, you know, on it's Children's Hospital, right? Everyone knows that that's look, it's it's incredibly sad if you have to have a kid in a children's hospital, right? So they do things that are fun, that are exciting, that get the kids to forget about what they have uh, for a brief moment in time. And so there's a tweet out there that shows, hey, this is how this is how uh, window washers wash the windows at the children's hospital. And and all it is is just a picture of four superhero, four window washers uh, dressed up as Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. And then, you know, this is this gets 100,000 likes. A comment below. Love this, but where are the woman superheroes? <laughs> and and so this is just like you this is this is a woke America 2022 because why is why is anyone thinking it that way? The, the 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 reason that they're thinking this, their their minds in the wrong place. Why does it even come up? Why is everything identity politics? Why is everything not fun? And it's about whether you have one of each thing in it. Um, I don't even know what women superheroes do we even need here. I mean, if I think of superheroes, I'm probably thinking of guy superheroes in the first four, five, six, seven superheroes. I mean, maybe. Um, I, I I don't I don't know. Wonder Woman would be like number eight for me if I was doing power rankings of superheroes. I mean, there's been a lot more than her. So this is just a, a perfect example of and it's sort of like I think this is good, too, because it's it's people are enjoying the world less these days, I think. And we, we talk about this a lot. And it's such a good theme in the pod because everyone sort of is wondering wh- why is society not as happy as it used to be? Why are there more suicides? Why are more people on antidepressants? Um, why are women in particular uh, feeling a lot worse about themselves than in the past? Why are men uh, just removing themselves from society and shutting off from everything and just playing video games all day? Um, not that I'm hating on p- playing video games to a certain extent, but shouldn't be doing it for 18 hours a day. And, and we ask ourselves, like, why is all this stuff happening? Well, it's because of it's because of thinking like this and no one can have any fun anymore. Something that is supposed to be just incredibly joyous and we're helping out the kids here turns into politics. It means that pol- like TV and you talk about this with people um, that you've worked with. Politics is on the minds of these people 100 percent of the time. How are they supposed to enjoy life this way? When that's all they can think about. Like, I would never want to do that. We think about it ourselves because we joke about it in our group chats and in the pod. But, yeah, TB, I, I can't believe that, that people that, like, you're interacting with, and I interact maybe with some of them, but a lot less than you. I can't believe these people live this way. I, I don't either. Like, it's got to be a sad life that if all there is to to your you is your political identity. Like that that's pretty sad like i always you know look i'm on a i co-host a podcast about politics but at the end of the day you know i you know 
I love you know I love discussing politics. It's a you know it's a definitely a strong interest of mine, but my political ideology doesn't define who I am. It's an aspect of who I am. Me being a conservative is an aspect of who I am, but there's more to me. You know, there's my personality. You know, my my interests, my hobbies, things that I like to do in my free time, the friends and family that I love. Those all define who I am, I think, not my, not my politics. So, but for these people, it consumes their life constantly. Every day they wake up and assume the absolute worst in people. They assume the worst in someone who disagrees in them. They can't stop talking about it. They have to bring it into the workplace because they think that because they have a sad life, they think that, you know, hitching their wagon to their political ideology makes them, you know, quirky, makes them, you know, hip and makes them, you know, makes them important. Uh, again, this goes back to what I was saying before SB. It's all about their own self-importance. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a selfish motivation. That's why I struggle so much with, with respecting people like that because it's, it's not good natured. And it'd be, if it'd be a entirely different story if they, if they were well-intentioned, but usually you know, most often than not, it's it's not well intentioned but you know and and i think too like for for these people too like it, it, they really just like their the entire belief system you know it's not rooted in convictions that's why they're able to be so flip flippy floppy on on different topics that's why they always have double standards because there is no like core moral compass or belief system that grounds them uh, they do whatever is just like convenient for them in, in, in the moment. And, you know, there's, I, I think there's no better representation than this, than this next story, SB. Mm-hmm. So uh, these kind of like fall into each other, but uh, you know, there's, there's this one story about, uh, I believe this was covered on Tucker Carlson, uh, but keep me honest here, SB, but you know, Democrats who favor diversity, they typically are living in all white neighborhoods. And, you know, we, we see this time and time again, like, you know, we, We've seen how these leaders, for example, of, of Black Lives Matter, they buy these uber expensive mansions or very nice, you know, multi-million dollar homes in predominantly white neighborhoods. We see the politicians like Nancy Pelosi, hell, even Joe Biden, they live in these like all white gated communities. So it's all about, you know, you know, you know. Practice, you know, do do as I, you know, do as I say, not what I do, and that you know they, they, it's you know, rules for thee, but not for me. It's an absolute double standard. You know, they they don't believe what they what they mean, and I, I and there's this another story, SB, that just absolutely cracks me up now because, you know, I, we we talked about this a little while ago where we talked about how there's this major problem on the border right now with illegal immigration it's it's actually like a, a huge crisis going on that is just not being covered by the media and uh you know what's what happens is when these illegals enter our country they're going into these neighboring american cities in arizona and texas that they have populations of like tens of thousands of people like they're they're very small and they're not equipped to to take on all these people but you know they, they, that's the reality that they're living in and the reason why we have such a problem with the border is because of, you know, from the Democrat Party, they pass all these very lax laws that are very friendly to legal immigration. They don't want borders. They want mass 
migration, even if it is illegal. And these politicians are typically from these coastal elite cities like New York City, San Francisco, and D.C. So we, we mentioned before that Governor Abbott from Texas, he had this pretty ingenious idea of saying, okay, if you love this so much, if you're in such favor of being sanctuary cities and having open borders, okay, no problem. We'll ship them over to you then because you're so welcoming and you want them. And what's happening now is that these liberal mayors and the people who live in these liberal cities are freaking the F out now because they've, they've now gotten a couple like tens of thousands of people uh, uh, migrating into their, into their cities and they're, and they can't handle it. They, they're getting, you know, their school systems, their, their social resources, crime, you name it. They, They don't have the resources to take them on. So imagine like a city like New York city that has millions of people, you know, it's more populated than most States in America. Uh, and they're having a hard time accommodating all this, this influx of migrants. And yet Eric Adams, you know, the, these liberal politicians had no problem with these like tiny neighboring cities being left to, to handle with this. So SB, I absolutely love this. This cracks me up so much because they're finally getting a taste of their own medicine. Like they're, finally seeing on their doorstep like the consequences of their actions the consequences of these insane policies that they're passing and they don't like it it's just the irony is just beautiful sb yeah it's it's amazing and it's a couple themes that we touch on in the pod so the first is that they don't like the woke utopias that they build they do it to keep being a politician and to get elected and they say the right things and they do the right policies on, hey, if, if progressive groups or George Soros or whoever is funding them, they're going to do the policies of whoever got them in the position. But they don't see the results of the woke utopia. They don't live there. And so these Democrat mayors have had these sanctuary cities for so long, and they've been critical of the fact that these conservative border states – are freaking out about illegals, they're racist against it. Well, yeah, they get a tiny taste of it, and it's like shuts down the city. Now, what was interesting with the context, I like that you brought up the numbers of New York City, because Bill Malusian, who's who's doing great border work for Fox, he was mentioning that the, the town of Del Rio, they had a population of 35,000. They had over 15,000 illegal immigrants arrive in their city last September. So what do we think about Del Rio dealing with this if New York City, with millions of people, is getting overwhelmed? What do you think about a a town that their population increased from 35,000 to to 50,000 at once? So, yeah, spare me the BS, and it's hilarious to see them interacting to this. And then to, to bring it back to, to the previous point, mentioning these these diver- these pro-diversity politicians not living in a very diverse neighborhoods, well, th- this is perfectly said by Michelle Obama, who Michelle Obama is one of the probably the richest women in the country, signing the Spotify deals, Amazon deals for podcasts, book deals, Netflix production. I mean, being being funded by the woke, and we'll get to defunding the woke a, a little bit later, 
but so much funding. The Obamas have so much money. Has the has the beach house in Hawaii and Martha's Vineyard and all this. Well, she's out there saying that she still faces racism, and that I think the exact quote, and you know, maybe this isn't exact, but I think it's basically that she said that whites run away from her and and Barack because they're black. So then, why are you moving to all white Martha's Vineyard? Why don't you guys stick around in Chicago? And why don't you live deep there and do some community organizing to better that community? If anything, what I what I hear and the listeners can probably look this up too is that Chicago doesn't actually like the Obamas because they're trying to do this ridiculous Obama library that's costing way too much money and it's going to be a drain on the city. So maybe we'll have to look that up in further detail on another show. But yeah, just just totally absurd. And then TV, I think like this final um, piece of the story like takes the cake for just hilarity and absurdity is that we have Mexico City residents are are now upset at Americans moving into their cities and gentrifying them because the Americans are not immersing themselves in the Mexican city culture and they're only speaking English. So we basically have like the reverse of what's going on here. Now, of course, TV, if, if you try to say, oh, hey, we should have English, like we should have English as the main language in the U.S., you're called racist. If you if you talk to Hispanics, they would probably say that, too. Like they would they they, they would say that like we, we could have a unified language. If we don't have a unified language, how do we even have a unified country? So what are we even doing here if if. We're supposed to have this country when we can't actually communicate with each other. Does that actually work? So, yeah, you just you know, <laughs> stories and like these stories, they don't they don't make a lot of sense like one off. But if you're kind of viewing things broadly like we're doing and you understand kind of the motivations of some of these woke politicians, it actually does make perfect sense. And, you know, that's why we just love covering and kind of un. And un- unwinding the stories and really get diving into them here because there's just so much you can take from from all of this insanity going on. Yeah, no, I I just loved that story, SB. Like uh, the the full story is that these uh, a lot of Americans they're moving to Mexico um, just because we're living in this post COVID era where work from home is a pretty common experience for a lot of american workers so a lot of them are moving to mexico because it's cheap to live there and they can kind of you know work while on vacation for for very little money um so uh they're moving to mexico city and the residents they're getting so upset that their cities are getting gentrified that the people moving in are not immersing themselves in the mexican culture that they're all speaking english and they're not learning learning uh spanish so as you as you said sb it's it's hysterical because it's like the exact reversal of what happens in america and like that's that's the common complaint about you know illegal immigration is that they come into our country and they they don't immerse themselves in the american culture that they they don't uh learn learn our language that they you know they, they, they still speak spanish and this is me saying this as someone who's hispanic so it's not like i'm hating on people who don't who who speak spanish it's just you know i think it's a very fair expectation that you know if you enter a country you are now a citizen of that country and you and you you immerse yourself in that country and you you assimilate 
you know, and, and instead what happens is that you, you kind of, these isolated communities form where they, they don't really, you know, take part of, of being an American and, you know, they, they can't really converse with their neighbors because they only speak a certain language um, that's not mainstream in the country. And it, it causes a lot of issues with that. Um, and uh, I don't say that as a place out of hate. It's just like an unfortunate reality of the situation. So just seeing that now Mexico is is upset about Americans doing that. I, I just thought that was very funny irony and, and a good uh, a good segue from the, the story um, preceding that just about, uh, you know, just kind of the, these the illegal immigrants moving into liberal cities uh, and, and, kind of the, and the reaction from liberal politicians there. Um, but, uh, you know, to uh, to close that out uh, and move into our next segment, uh, defunding the woke. Now, this has been a theme on our podcast that was never planned when we started the show. But as we've continued to, to cover more stories, we we were sensing that there's kind of like a social movement going on where, you know, you, you kind of money like cash is king. That's what we always say. That's a. That's a common uh, adage that that always uh, remains to be true. So following the money, you can kind of see where industries are investing their money. And lately, we've been noticing a trend where there's a, you know, a pulling of money and resources from woke types of programming and and investments. So SB, this was this was one that I, I know is near and dear to your heart, but uh, we saw another uh, defunding the woke that I think uh, gives us a lot of reason to celebrate. Yeah. So Samantha B, who hosted a late night show on TBS, which is now there's no such thing because Conan's gone and now she's gone. Her show is canceled and it wasn't canceled over ratings like sliding in particular this one year. It wasn't canceled on some controversy. Uh, on the show, it was simply canceled because the new ownership that took over TBS said, we don't need the show anymore. Now, part of that probably due to kind of a, a new, the new management thinks that they don't want late night shows on, on TV. I think that's kind of part of it, especially because they're rating horribly and a show like Gutfeld on Fox news is doing so much better than than what these TBS shows were doing. But look, if, if the show was getting good ratings, it would have stayed on. It's not getting good ratings because it's not funny. This this show, Samantha B, she's really a, a nasty person. And you know, if you go back through her history, she's the one that really went after Ivanka Trump a few years ago, c- called her a feckless cunt. I mean, maybe we gotta put the explicit warning in this pod for that but i think that it deserves to be said in its entirety because that's what she said on the show and you know beyond just being nasty again the show just wasn't funny people didn't find it funny so of course when this happened this happened at the same time that Dezus and mero uh got stopped at a showtime now i think that was partly or maybe mostly because they broke up so that show was gone but of course, after that, you have Bill Simmons's woke outlet, The Ringer, um, with the piece that late night TV is taking a step backwards because the, the woman, Samantha Bee, and then Dezos and Mero are gone, and it's only, only white men left. 
Well, you know, where, where was the, the hate when Conan O'Brien show got canceled? Now, I don't find Conan O'Brien particularly funny, and I'm, I'm actually not really sure why he had such huge fans for his show. Um, they, he had very little fans, but diehard fans. I never really got that. I didn't think the show was that good. But regardless, there wasn't this huge outcry of racism against Conan O'Brien when he lost his show. He just lost the show because it wasn't rating that well. So same thing happened with her. And I, I like the fact that this is the same company that, that immediately canceled CNN Plus when they came into ownership. They're making the hard calls, and they don't, they, they don't really care about the, the consequences. It's the same guy we talked about in the pod as well. Um, the CEO of this new company is meeting with J.K. Rowling for a potential Harry Potter series. So really smart because in the world of streaming – and you want as much IP and franchises and, and hits to come through, having some pretty hit Harry Potter series and movies would be an incredible boon for any media company. And Warner Brothers Discovery, Warner Bros., they have the rights to develop the content with Harry Potter. So I like I liked this happening a lot. And then final thing I'll, I'll say on this, we had Wokeflix uh, had their earnings a couple weeks back. And they lost subscribers again. So Netflix has now lost subscribers in two consecutive quarters. They lost over a million subscribers in the U.S., which which I love seeing. And they're guiding for one million subscribers um, additions in the third quarter of the year. So the from July, August, and September. But TV, like I'm not convinced that they're going to do that because the the TV that I think all the the, whole, the country is going to be on the Lord of the Rings versus the Game of Thrones prequel uh, competition going on end of August, early September. I don't think people are going to care about Netflix during that time period. So I would not be surprised if that one million uh, guidance they gave for ads you know, comes in way below and they lose subscribers again in the third quarter. But Wokeflix, they've been defunding their wokeness. They have, they have a long way to go, but they're starting to. We have Warner Bros. Discovery defunding. Disney's still not defunding the woke, but having seen some of the results lately from them, they're probably the next one that's going to have to because otherwise the CEO is going to be in the chopping block because shareholders are just not happy with them constantly losing money. Yeah, uh, you, you love to see it. SB, uh, you know, I think that's why recently, I think within the past month, the uh, CEO of Netflix had to send out a statement internally to his employees just saying, all right, we're, we're kind of moving on from this woke stuff. And if you don't like it, you can, you know, you're happy to find employment elsewhere. Uh, it's just, it shows, you know, once you go woke, you go broke. And <laughs> Netflix learned that the hard way, but you know what, if you, if you're going to play that game, you, you deserve to get burned. So I, I don't really have much sympathy for them, but, uh, but look, SB, uh, before we close here, you know, we've covered quite a bit, but, you know, we always like to, to lead off with uh, some, some comedy, you know, as, as we always try to do on our show. And um, there's, this, there's just this frequent guest on our show that just continues <laughs> to be the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, that, those are, that's our friends at The View. Um, they, they are back again. And again, we haven't recorded in two weeks. And they've given us so much ammo to, 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 to go over. And we have we have planned to, to cover some of this in uh, in our next episode, but uh, one that really stuck out to us that we just couldn't stop laughing about was uh, Whoopi Goldberg 
Uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, just a favorite. She, she is an absolute luminary. She is a just a political genius. Uh, she, she's just so well educated. She is just so well spoken when it comes to matters of, of politics <laughs> and society. And uh, she was talking about uh, a new uh, surgeon general for our country. And she nominated none other than uh, than Dr. Jill Biden. And, uh, you know, in this discourse, in this conversation, uh, one of the uh, co-hosts on The View mentioned that uh, she's actually not a medical doctor, that she has a doctorate in education. And when uh, when when Whoopi Goldberg realized that you just see like a confused look on her face and she's like, oh, really? Like she's just absolutely shocked that uh, to hear that. Jill Biden's actually not a medical doctor and thus would be a poor choice for the, uh, you know, the surgeon general. But uh, I just thought that was hysterical, just a, a, a fantastic example of just the idiocy that happens on that show. Like that show is truly garbage. Uh, these women on, on that panel, they speak with such conviction and just they, 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 they speak like with so much confidence that they are they're they're right that they that their views are all-knowing and perfect and at the end of the day they don't know what the hell they're talking about so you just get these amazing gaps like this that is just pure comedy sb that that was just fantastic well that would be one if disney did defund the woke disney owns abc which which has the view you know we would lose a lot of show content so actually maybe at least in the short term, Disney should keep the woke going, keep the view on the air. The woke antidote um, is going to keep on rolling with the content. Maybe once you know Fox News or Barstool or whoever you know assigns us to a podcast deal, um, you know gives us gives us the cash, then the woke can go off the air. But I think for now, let's let's at least have Disney keep the view on because yeah, this has given us incredible content. And then just kind of finishing up on that, just briefly, right before we came on the show, uh, The View apparently wants to interview Ron DeSantis, and DeSantis turned him down and gave several examples of how The View has been entirely misleading about DeSantis over the, over the years. And so I'm just I'm pumped that he decided not to go because he would be walking into the lion's den. And, and that's a smart call because he's going to look really bad they're going to make him look bad even if he has great things to say so i definitely liked that i think that shows uh some pretty good political instincts and tv like we were talking about this right before we went on but we're we're on different sides of the desantis for trump 24 debate i'm kind i think we'll talk about this more in future episodes but i think the i would like to see iron sharpening iron here where both guys make the other guy step up their game and we just actually, instead of devolving into insults and whatnot, we actually have whatever candidate it's going to be for 24, whether it's Trump or DeSantis, is going to just have incredible positions, everything the country needs to potentially get back on track and just come into the White House with guns blazing, ready to fix this mess because, you know, we're clearly in deep, deep trouble. And even if, you know, Trump or DeSantis has an A+, plus uh four year, eight year, twelve year, whatever run if they get into office. Like I'm not even sure we can fix this. So we need something, we need it badly. 
and hopefully um, it, it it goes to a more positive place as opposed to kind of getting in in the weeds and the gutter with those guys, which, you know, Trump, look, I, I think he, he's probably going to be the guy at this point, but he, he's been known to do that. So we'll see if he can, he cannot he cannot do that. And he can lay off the insults if he is running again. Yeah. Just, just to uh, close this out with one final uh, note on Trump, there was a, I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, the other day, Quinnipiac poll came out with a, one of their first, uh, it might've been their, their very first, uh, presidential uh, forecast for the 2024 election. And if it was held today, uh, Trump had between a six and 8% uh, advantage over uh, Biden. So if those are the two candidates, then as of right now, as unpopular as Trump was at the end of his, uh, his, uh, his term, um, he has a pretty significant advantage over Joe Biden, which is, which is not surprising. But I thought that was pretty substantial considering it's Trump and how polarizing he can be. Uh, you know, I think that just speaks volumes about how fed up the American people are with uh, a Joe Biden run country and, and they're ready for, for something different. And, you know, maybe that something different is actually what life looked like before <laughs> Biden. I think people are realizing, you know what? That guy might have been mean and orange and, and wrote mean tweets, but, uh, you know, the country was better off economically, militarily, um, you know, safety wise. Uh, you know, you, you kind of name it, you go through the list. Uh, I think the Trump administration checked off a lot of those boxes. And I think people are realizing that now, you know, flowery language uh, doesn't it, you know, it sounds nice, but doesn't really get you far. So. Uh, very interesting. We're going to be covering, I, I, SB, I suspect you and I are going to have quite a few uh, more Trump-DeSantis debates and conversations. I, I think this is, uh, we're far from hearing the last of DeSantis. I think, uh, you know, whether he runs in 24 or not, he has a very bright political future. And um, I think you're absolutely right. Iron sh- does shar- uh, sharpen iron. And hopefully this kind of helps create a more muted uh, version of Trump that Look, like we always say, if Trump can just stick to policy, I, I think he nails it. It's, it's, it's all his other stuff, his bluster, the, the tweeting and stuff that gets him in trouble. So if he can stay on message and just stay focused, I think people would, would like that version of Trump. So uh, I'm all for it if, if uh, a DeSantis candidacy you know, brings that about. Yeah, totally. And hey, I, I think this, this is a really – this is examining the issues uh, pod – through AOC at first, but I, I think this was a great return, TB. What do you think? Yeah, no, it, uh, it, it felt great to be back. You know, uh, you know obviously, uh, hopefully we didn't have too much uh, rust to shake off, uh, and apologies if so, but, you know, we did have a two-week hiatus, but it, it just it felt really good to, uh, to go back and, you know, rant and, and uh, you know, just dissect the woke with USB. And, uh, you know, I, I think this episode was a great way to tee up another, uh, you know, another great week of content we have cooked up. And as I said on our next episode, which we're also recording this week, uh, we're going to be really diving into just all of the insane, you know, wackiness that's going on where literally the word definition is now being redefined in Wikipedia. Um, so there's just a lot of lunacy going on and we're going to we're going to break that down and uh, really talk about why that's a problem. And so we have a lot more to, 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 to sh- come back to you with. And 
you know, I'm pumped to to get back into our normal swing of things here, SB. Yeah, the gaslighting is out of control, and and really, if if you want to, if the listeners want to do some homework uh, for the next pod, just read 1984. I mean, you have to. If you've not done this recently, if you've not read this book since high school, or even if you spark noted it in high school, like I think I probably did, um, read it because it's really what's happening right now, and we're gonna have so many examples for you of just how how bad the situation is devolved into because it's actually really bad. We will laugh about it, but it's actually really bad. So yeah, TB with that, uh, I, I don't have anything else. So uh, yeah, if you got nothing else, should we close this out and we'll, we'll see everyone uh, in a couple days later. There is one more thing I need to do. And <laughs> uh, if you, if you don't remember uh, about a month ago, uh, I made the mistake of making a, a bet with uh Brandon from Greenlit Candles, who we had on our show uh, a few weeks ago, he is a Chicago transplant uh, living in in Tampa Bay. So, not sure how true of a Lightning fan he really is, but uh, he decided to hop on that bandwagon. So, we made a gentleman's wager that my Rangers, uh, and just uh, I would note they were the underdog in that series, but uh, you know, credit to me, but. Uh, but anyways, I made the I made the wager that the Rangers would beat the the Lightning, and sadly, uh, I lost that bet. And uh, <laughs> as part of my loss, uh, the terms that I agreed to, I had to sing a Celine Dion song, uh, and uh, <laughs> I uh, I have not practiced at all. I've been dealing with bronchitis for the past month. So my vocal cords aren't in the, the best shape. Um, so I'm going to sing a little excerpt from it. But uh, that's all you're getting, Brandon. So hopefully uh, <laughs> hopefully this is okay with you. <laughs> but when you touch me like this and you hold me like that, I just have to admit that it's all coming back to me when I touch you like this and I hold you like that. It's all so hard to believe, but it's all coming back to me. It's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. Fiend. Amazing. Amazing. Well, well done. The, the, the bet is finally repaid. Oh, thank God. I, I, I had that hang over me like a gray cloud for weeks. And Brandon, I promise I wasn't chickening out. I, I literally, you know, SB can attest. I could not like talk without coughing. So, uh, you know, I couldn't do that to uh, Celine. So, uh, good. It, it was a fun wager. Uh, I'm going to be a little smarter on my, on my next bet I make with you because, uh, that was awful. So hopefully for the sake of our listeners, uh, they won't have to listen to me sing again. No. And what was his, uh, he was going to eat an onion or something. What was his, he was supposed to eat an onion, like an apple, on video which would have would have been great um you know honestly i thought he had the the worst of of the two so hey all things considered i guess I, i'd rather sing uh sing a very bad rendition of celine dion versus Ian onion but regardless my my debt has been paid so uh glad to have that that monkey off my back and now we can move forward well to maybe to maybe cheer you up tb like we whether it's next pod or after, um, you know, we could do a little sports corner of your, your Yankees kind of, you know, 
The Sox, the Sox aren't in it. So at least, at least he have that. I'm not going to be betting you any Sox Yankees uh, bets recently because I'm not going to be on the losing end of that one. So hopefully, uh, I can cheer you up a little bit with uh, with that because I'm uh, I'm feeling that pain right now. Well, if it makes you feel any better, a lot of my worries that I've been sharing all season, despite the Yankees outperforming our expectations and leading the league. Uh, those chickens have come to roost. So, uh, yeah, I, I, when we do talk Yankees, I, I'm, I'm going to get pretty fired up about it because there's actually a lot that's worrying me right now. Um, they have, they within the past ten games, they have a losing record. They they had a very bad July. So, um, they're you know not all as well in, in the Bronx, and I will uh, I will get into why that is. Word. Well, yeah, we'll save that for the next step, but I think uh, this was a great one. I had a lot of fun, and we will uh, see and talk to you guys very shortly. All right. So long, folks. Till next time.